0: and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity podcast. I'm Christine Burns. The question of whether gay or lesbian couples should conceive or adopt children has been with us for many years, and some people think it's wrong. There seems no justification, of course, and we're confronted all the time with examples of heterosexual men and women being bad parents and abusers. Yet the idea that less conventional couples pose some extra kind of threat is deeply ingrained. And if there's concern about gay and lesbian people adopting children, what must it be like for trans people? Well, for this episode, I've come to meet a trans man who knows all about this first hand. Now, he needs to remain anonymous, so I'll just call him Nick. And Nick, welcome to Just Plain Sense. Hello. To begin with, could we start with a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, well... Um, I'm 36 and um, I'm from East London. Um, I'm married with two children and at the moment I'm a, I've am kind of got many hats on. I'm a full-time dad and a, and a professional writer.
0: And when did you transition and present to the world as a man?
1: Um, it's quite a difficult question to answer really because I didn't really have a transition. I was kind of deprived of a transition period um, because i i first told my parents when i was two and a half so it was always something that was just accepted and it did come as a shock i guess when i told them that, uh, the extent to which i was going to go and the, the surgery and the hormones but for the most part i've just been who i am all my life so it, it there wasn't really a transition period as such but um i, I guess the, the the point at which i started the hormone treatment was a big turning point but it didn't really change me in any way it didn't you know? I did, didn't change in in terms of what I wore or how I was addressed, or it changed me socially in any way. But it 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 certainly changed something in me.
0: How was that experience with with parents and with friends and uh, your know, siblings?
1: Um, I've actually been really blessed. Um, I've got a, a, a sister, and a, and my mother and father were always very supportive. Um, but I think because they knew from such a young age, I'd had so many problems at school. You know, I, I'd kicked off a tantrum tantrums in play school um because i was told to stand in the other in the girl's line and and it was a it was an awful situation for me but i think my parents kind of handled it in a way where they just accepted that i was the way i was and and when it came to the point when i did decide to 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 get further treatment they their their response to it was well we knew this was coming it was just a case of when so I, i i've been blessed in that i've not not had any problems with my friends, family? I, nobody has been at all surprised. I'm actually quite surprised. That nobody has been surprised. It, it w- makes you wonder what I need to do in order <laughs> to surprise people. But um
0: you, you were saying earlier that before we started, that there's some strangers in the street would sometimes identify you as a boy anyway. when You were a little girl.
1: Yeah, I, I, I always had that situation. It was I would be out with my parents or, or with, with someone in my family, and someone would say, "Oh, what a cute little boy." And whoever was with, whichever adult was with me would say it's a girl, girl. and uh, it horri- I mean, it always horrified me. But in terms of passing, I was already in a, in a situation where I was passing from you know a very very young age, and I would I would get thrown out of public toilets, and you know Mum mm-hmm. would send me in to the girls' toilets, and some old lady would throw me out, <laughs> saying I shouldn't be there. But um, overall, I think. It, I've, I've had a different experience to most mm. in that I, I really have not been any different from when I was a child to today. The only thing that happened was a legal change of name and, and obviously hormone treatment. Mm. So other than that, I've not really been any different.
0: And um, you've recently become married a few years ago and you live with your wife. And, and how did you meet?
1: Um, again, nothing nothing is conventional in my life. <laughs> nothing, is, nothing is a, a typical experience. Um, I met my wife, in, well, I, went, I met her initially on the internet as, as a contact, and, and was we we talked for several years, and then I was I went over to where she's from, um, and we we met up in person, and we we ended up getting together in 2001. We've been together eight years now. We've been married for the last three, um, but again it, again it's not a conventional situation. It was a kind of a we were friends and we chatted once in a while. We were contacts about a, a mutual interest, and it kind of spiralled from there.
0: Like, I, there's a there's a lesson for that from that, isn't there? That you can't easily put trans people into boxes.
1: No, no. It, I, I think you know that there, there, there's a, a stereotypical ideal of what of what trans people are, and that's just not the case. I mean, you you, you a, a lot of it is obviously due to the media and the things that you see in the media, and and you know things like Little Britain, for example, mm. um, where they you know they give this stereotypical idea of of what uh, trans people are like. But in my experience, and I mean, obviously, I am at this point anonymous for mm. this interview. But no one around me that would would have the first idea. And I think that's something that is often missed. I think there's mm. often this idea that you can spot somebody, but that's not the case. And you know, I've had a very, very normal, typical life, really.
0: Let, let's go on and, and talk about your experiences of adopting. Um when did the two of you first decide you wanted to adopt a child?
1: um people adopt for many different reasons um we we had discussed adoption vaguely but we we, we really wasn't too interested in in pursuing that route but a, a situation occurred where we kind of got bought into a situation with two children who needed a home and we it was more a case of taking responsibility for these children than it was about adopting and th- we we didn't take a traditional route to adoption as many people do we we were kind of, it was kind of given to us it kind of came to us rather than us kind of seeking adoption out
0: and, and what happened when you tried to start the process
1: I, I I struggled in the first instance to to decide whether to tell the social workers um, about my history because I feared what it would do but kind of because of the situation because I was already known to these children although they didn't know my history there were people that did and there were people that would probably have, have made that connection for the social workers so I decided to be honest right from the from the first instance and um, basically the, the the thing that I came up against was a complete ignorance rather, that, rather than I, a, a kind of a discriminatory situation it was more of a a complete ignorance a, a complete lack of understanding and a complete lack of knowledge of what it of what gender dysphoria was of what trans people you know what trans people's experiences are there was a, a just a complete lack of knowledge and i think that was what ma- mainly that was what what we came against. in the first instance that's what we came up against it became a kind of a a focus of oh this is something new and we don't really understand this and so we're going to question this to death.
0: How, how, how did that manifest with the, the social workers? What, what were the things that they seemed to be you know, most concerned about?
1: Well I actually, actually there was some absolutely ridiculous questions but they, they, they seemed to be concerned about the, the surgery and what it meant. I was actually asked by one social worker which is really kind of incredible that once once my surgery was complete, would I be able to father children of my own, and at that point, I realized that there was just absolutely no knowledge mm. and no understanding of, of of the situation at all and you know questions m- more about your mental stability it, uh, there was quite a bit of questioning of of my mental health and my ability to be if you like normal mm. um
0: is, are those the sort of questions they would ask other people?
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think you know, they, I think social workers look for a reason, any reason, to find something that makes you a potential problem. In, uh, in I guess way.
0: the the training is about looking at problem people, and they mm. they seek to seek to problematise anybody they find.
1: Oh yeah, I mean. I mean it, I, I, I've got friends who have, who have, have been refused on the grounds that they're overweight, and and there's always there's always some. If you look hard enough, there's always a reason to to refuse somebody. Um,
0: so so how do you tackle those kinds of objections or quick curiosity that you are encountering?
1: In terms of tackling the the, the problems, I think what you need to do is step away from the emotion that you feel in terms of of desperately wanting this child and actually consider your own rights especially your right to privacy Mm -hmm. and to draw a line for the social workers and and let them know that there is there is room for them to ask some questions but those questions need to be relevant and those questions need to be asked and and moved on from and because it i I did feel at various points it became the transgendered show where people were focusing purely on this one aspect of who I was mm. and not taking into consideration all the qualities and all and all of the experience and all of the things that i had I had done previously you know I had a lot of experience working with children i had you know i' had, i mean my one of my children has got special needs and I had a a uh, history of working as a volunteer for Mencap. I had lots of other qualities to me that made me a good prospective adopter. And it it really became all about gender dysphoria and the, the transgendered show. And it I, I reached a point where I, I said I'm gonna draw a line and tell them that this is where these questions stop and this is where we start looking into the qualities that you need as a as a, a prospective mm-hmm. adoptive parent.
0: So you you say that their curiosity was overcoming them, and they they were asking questions which were really relevant to to the the task that was in hand. Oh, absolutely! It, it, you know, the,
1: their job is to find suitable prospective adopters, and to be a suitable prospective adopter, you need certain skills and you need a certain level of understanding, and a certain viewpoints of the world. But you, you know, your your gender or your your genitals it really is what is what it. It is the focus is is not one of those qualities that you need it doesn't you know you, children these children have been through very very traumatic times and they need people with the skills to parent them and they don't care what gender that person is they don't care about any of those issues all they care about is that they have someone who is stable to love them mm-hmm. and social workers tend to lose sight of of that that the end goal is to provide children with good parents who can raise them in the right way and and help them overcome their difficulties it it it's not about the prospective adopter as much as it's about the needs of the child and 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 finding a suitable match where that those children can can develop and grow into adults that can can cope with the world obviously these children are almost always it, it's it, you know a lot of people a lot of people who adopt like to think th- they get a, a a nice neat little baby that's got no problems and no issues but that's not no. the case um increasingly the children that are coming for adoption are five to seven years old and they come with a history and they come with a lot of trauma in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. You know, the, the, Some of these children have been sexually abused, some of these children have got learning problems, some of these children desperately want to stay with their parents, however bad those birth parents were. Quite frequently with children that are taken into care, as, I, as I've learned, by, by obviously from my own process and through helping others through the process, um, these children quite often come from homes where there is a crime, where their houses have been raided by the police, so mm-hmm. that makes them very frightened. There's drugs and alcohol abuse. And th- those children, th- all of those things that happen become, they, they paint on the slate of who those children become. And there's a lot of work from adoptive parents to help those children overcome those difficulties and and understand why they've come from the point they were at to the point that they're at now. It's very, it's very easy for an adopted child to, who wants to be with their birth parents to have a problem with their adoptive parents and reject the adoptive mm-hmm. parents. And as the as the adult, you have to be able to stand back from that and and help that child understand their situation and help them come out the other side, mm-hmm. so that they that they do understand that it was necessary for them to find new parents, and that that doesn't mean that they can't love their birth parents, but it it was needed and and. and Helping the child understand that is a key part of being an adopter. It's probably, I, I would say, is probably the biggest issue for adopters is being able to help the child understand that process because notoriously they don't, they mm-hmm. they they really don't understand why they couldn't stay with their mum or their dad or both, and you've got to help that child to understand why they couldn't.
0: Now, you were successful in your application to 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 adopt two children. In the end, so I mean, how are they getting on?
1: Um, they're, they're great. Um, they they come with their problems and their challenges, and and they uh, our, our eldest daughter's got some problems that are difficult and and really trying at times. But you you wouldn't want it any I wouldn't want it any other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I didn't come into this, you know with my eyes closed but it is a lot more difficult than than you expect even if you know the child it's, it's very difficult um, but if you if you understand from a child's perspective if you put yourself in a position of a child and understand from their perspective it helps them overcome their situation quicker and at this point two years on our children are, are fantastic, they're, they're, doing, they're both doing exceptionally well, they're both happy where they are, they both understand where they've come from and why they're there, they understand that they've got birth parents and they've got adoptive parents, um, in most cases they refer to birth parents as tummy mummy and tummy daddy and then they have adoptive parents that become forever mummy and daddy and they understand that their tummy mummy and daddy couldn't look after them and that they needed a forever mummy and daddy and they they they're very very happy well adjusted children now um it's been it's been it's been a long road it's been 2 years and it's been a long road but they are doing exceptionally well
0: and is, is being a parent being a being a forever parent the, the all that you expected it to be
1: yes um, i mean it it was it is definitely more challenging than i thought it would be but it's also more rewarding um every little step that the children take that, from losing teeth to reading their first book all of those things are wonderfully rewarding and you know I couldn't recommend it highly enough for, for anybody who's interested in adoption I c- You, it will be the best thing you ever decide to do the thing is you have to be prepared for the challenges that it's going to present as well as all the joys that it brings And my children bring me endless joy I I, I can't think of anything better to do than spend my time with my children but there are times when it's difficult, and you have to accept that the difficulty is is part of adoption. You you don't get a clean slate child, and you have to deal with that. And but if you if you cope with the the, the first two years, you the the rest is a lot easier. It's it, it it is difficult in the first instance, but at this point now we we it's a relatively normal existence and we and our children are happy and well adjusted and doing well and we couldn't be we couldn't be, back, be happier. We were actually considering doing it again, so it wasn't that bad. It Couldn't have been that bad.
0: <laughs> now, so you you've got through this process successfully in spite of you know, the, the, the problems that you, you encountered with the social workers, and and you've gone on to to offering advice to to other couples where there's a one one trans partner who who are trying to do the same thing. So I, I think a lot of trans people would actually like to adopt. So yeah. You know, how many of the people are you you helping, and what sort of problems do you think they're encountering?
1: Um, at the moment, I'm helping two. Um, I've helped four in total. I'm I'm helping two at the moment, um, and I've also done some work for Connections for with uh, young transgendered people as well, um, because I think it's important that as somebody who has come out the other side of it to the the fears that they have to kind of more than anything allay their fears and try and tip them off to the potential problems that they may get. Um, it, it, with the four people that I've helped, th- the the problems always seem to be the same. There seems it seems to be that this this lack of education, this ignorance uh, about trans people and about the situation that they're in, um, and also it it can I find with social workers they can use it as an excuse. Mm. To not pursue their their application, or to to have endless stalling tactics, where you know where they should be, it should be going through a, through the process of of, of getting it, first of all getting the information from social services and then proceeding to you know adoption classes and and understanding more about what you get with adoptive children and what problems you potentially get and uh, then moving on to the social worker actually coming and doing the home visits and the the assessment there seems to be a stalling at every hurdle there there seems to be a a a kind of a a delaying tactic and I think part of that is probably that they don't know how to deal with the situation Mm -hmm. so they just think well if I just ignore this then maybe they'll go away. Okay.
0: But Let, let's, let's look at that from, from two sides, because I was, I was going to ask you this question before. I mean, you've explained that there were specific reasons to do with the connections you had with the, the, the children, that it was it was prudent to, to disclose your, your trans history very early in the process. But is that really necessary for a trans person who's perhaps fully transitioned, settled down, I mean, legally, they don't have to disclose. Should you know? Is it is it perhaps given the the problems that the social workers have, is it is it better not to disclose?
1: Um, I, th- I think that it, there is a problem with this in that you know social workers are looking for honesty, mm-hmm. and one of the things they talk about is you know you need you need to be honest about your history and you need to be honest about your life. So in that sense, it is difficult, but.
0: There's, once there's a somebody com-
1: once somebody has actually transitioned mm-hmm. and that they that they're fully recognised in their in their gender, then I don't legally they don't have to and I, I don't necessarily think it is a good idea. Um it is it is very it's a very difficult decision to make because you do always have the fit with adoption because there are other issues that go on, you know, people are interviewed, people are spoken to about about you. Mm-hmm. It's possible that someone else can let it slip. On your behalf, and that
0: and then it looks like you' it concealing. looks like you're
1: lying and and hiding things which only will bring you more problems. however, if you are in a situation where you're you're not going to have somebody else reveal your information for you mm. then I, I i personally feel that it's probably best not to reveal reveal it until further along the process once you've reached a point in the process where you have been approved or tentatively approved before i mean you you go through a, a, a process of being approved, but you then have to go to a, a a panel where it has to be formally approved and and kind of rubber stamped. But so you could possibly do it in the, in the later stages when you've already been approved and had a a fair assessment.
0: And because, any irrationality at that point would be pretty obvious.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a very difficult decision to make, and it's. I think it's a personal decision. I think it's a decision that every person and their own needs to make on their own in their own circumstances. But I think. For the most part, it would, you will probably f- have a, an easier experience if you don't reveal your status until later in the process, once, once they've had a chance to, uh, to assess you as an adoptive parent rather than you as a trans person. Mm. That would be my...
0: Okay. let's let's look at that from the other side then from the social workers side because i I do believe that part of the contract of revealing any personal information to a professional is that they should be equipped to deal with that in a professional manner um, so what do you think adoption services and social workers should could and should be doing to you know, educate themselves to ensure that they are professionally equipped to to deal with uh, Potential adopters in a responsible manner, and which you know they understand then how properly to understand what's what are good questions and what are irrelevant questions.
1: I think that the the, the one thing that's lacking for, from from that perspective is that social workers are poorly trained in all diversity and equality issues, um, and because being transgender is such a rare. Well, I say relatively yeah. rare, it's, it's rare situation. To their experience. Yeah. It's they. You need to incorporate it into the diversity training that they do. I mean, there is already there there is already in place diversity and equality training in other areas, but it doesn't seem to extend to no. to, to trans issues. So I think what they need to do is incorporate more training. In terms of of what gender dysphoria is, um, what trans you know transgendered people are about, and what their experiences are, because I think in a lot of respects, being transgendered gives you an awful lot of of good information and 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 good experience that you can pass on to a child in terms of educating that child about being accepting of difference, about you know that those, those things are vital to a child. I think you know teaching a child. To accept the embracing of difference is is the best gift you can give a child. And I think that that makes transgendered people well equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. They're probably more accepting than most, less prejudiced than most. So it gives them a good situation to, to, to do that. But the social workers, they don't tend to understand it and almost kind of try to learn it on the job mm-hmm. and ask ridiculous questions that don't have any relevance. And if they, if, they could organise somebody. you know If there was somebody that could pr- provide a training package for them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they could incorporate into their equality and diversity training, they may have a better understanding of the situation and be able, been better equipped then to deal with prospective adopters, trans, adep- mm-hmm. prospective adopters.
0: So, if somebody listening to this now is you're part of a, a, a couple and one of them is trans and they want to adopt children, what what should they do?
1: Um, in the first instance, I mean, there's two options. You've, you've got private adoption agencies and the local authority adoption agencies. Um, in my experience and from the, the experience of the... Obviously, I didn't go for a private agency. I went through a local authority. But um, some of the, the, the trans men that I've helped have gone through a private agency and private agencies tend to be a law unto themselves. Mm-hmm. And there is even less training and less understanding within those groups Within those, those situations, but you, if you go, if you want to go to start the adoption process, you approach. You would approach uh, either a private agency or your local authority, and express an interest through their adoption team. Um, they usually send you a pack of information that you can read over, and, and, and so you can get an understanding of what to expect. And usually, they will offer uh, adoption classes where you will go with a, a group of pot- potential adopters, and they will. Go through the adoption process from start to finish. From your what your your assessment will be like, your home visits, your, you know what kind of information they're going to be looking for, and from there you can then you will then decide if you, if you emerge from that still interested in adoption and and the social workers are happy with what you've done in your classes, they will then move you forward for a home assessment where social workers will come out and and assess you in your home.
0: Okay. And if people wanted to get in touch with you for advice, I mean, I, I can arrange to do this in an anonymous way. Um, yeah, you know, would they? Could they get? Could they get in touch with you? Ab-
1: absolutely. I mean, if you, if you, do, anybody does want to contact you, you, you're more than welcome to forward them to me. Um, I, I mean, as you've done in the past, um, I'm I'm happy to help as many people as I can. Mm-hmm to understand what they may experience and and more importantly to to help them understand that they don't have to put up with some rather unpleasant and rather ignorant behaviours from from the social workers because you don't need to comply with everything that they say just because you want the child. You can get the child by setting boundaries for them and and by ensuring that you are not pushed to do anything that you shouldn't have to do.
0: And lastly, would you do it all again?
1: Absolutely Um, My my wife and I have been considering it again Um, It's it's difficult because having a child with special needs is is quite challenging And and you you do worry if you can give all the time and attention that you will need to another child But I I would anticipate my wife and I would absolutely do it again in the fairly near future
0: Thanks, Nick. And that, as usual, brings us to the end of another episode of Just Plain Sense. If you'd like to hear more, then the place to go is podcast.plain-sense.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with Nick, then I suggest that you leave a message in the comments on that page on podcast.plain-sense.co.uk. And I will pick those up and I will forward them um, to, to to Nick and his and his wife. Well, join us again soon for another episode on a topic of equality and diversity. But for now, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense Limited production.